Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. Of course, we find the very familiar passage of Scripture, and we find uh, what we have seen in recent days uh, is known as the parable of lost things. And the reason why I choose to call it that instead of the parable of uh, the prodigal son and the parable of the lost coin or the lost silver or the parable of the lost sheep is because of what the Bible says. If you look in chapter number 15, look at verse number 1 with me uh, just for sake of background this evening. The Bible says, Then drew near unto him, this is speaking about Jesus, him here in verse number 1 is Jesus. Jesus has been in recent uh, in recent chapters. He has been teaching. He's been instructing, and much of his instruction uh, has been in the form of parables. The Old Testament prophesied that when the Messiah came, he would come speaking in parables. And here in these passages, in these chapters, we find the Lord fulfilling prophecy time and time again as he speaks in parables. All of several of these chapters that proceed. Chapter number 15 are loaded with parables that teach, use earthly means and earthly ideas to teach a heavenly truth. And uh, so we see here, the Bible said, Then drew near unto him, speaking about Jesus, all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. They were coming uh, to hear these great lessons that he has been teaching. No doubt the word has gotten out about some of these lessons that he has been teaching and so the publicans come and aren't you glad that even sinners can come and hear Jesus? Amen. That Jesus doesn't do like most church folk want to do and reject the sinners. Amen. Uh, but rather Jesus is accepting of them and notice what the Bible says in verse number 2 that amongst that crowd that came to hear Jesus there were Pharisees and scribes and just like every Pharisee likes to do uh, the Bible said that they were murmuring. Amen. Anybody in here ever been in a church with a few Pharisees that like to murmur? Amen. From time to time. Amen. I don't know about you, but I've known a few. Amen. And our churches are full of them. Amen. You know how you can tell a Pharisee? Because they're running their mouth. They're murmuring. They're complaining. Amen. And they always have something to say about what Jesus is doing in the lives of his people. Amen. And so we see here the Pharisees and scribes murmured, verse number two, saying, this man, now talking about Jesus, I love that phrase. That's a name for Jesus if you study your Bible. Over and over again, the Bible calls Jesus this man. They refer to it here during his life. He referred to him as this man. I think about Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse number 12 uh, where the Bible talks about and this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of the throne of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. So this term is a term that's used very often of the Lord. The Bible said this man receiveth sinners and eateth with the, uh, the Pharisees meant that as a criticism of the Lord. But between me and you tonight, I don't know of a greater compliment that could be given to our Savior. 
that the Lord receives sinners. Aren't you glad with that? And then he mentions, and eateth with them. Not only does he receive them, not only does he allow them in his company, but he will spend personal, intimate time with those who are sinners, and he does not turn them away, but rather he receives them, and he spends time with them, and he blesses them with his presence. Amen. I'm glad that Jesus is not in the business of turning sinners away. And I'm telling you tonight, I was glad that as an eight-year-old boy, and I was lost and undone in my sin, God did not turn this sinner away. Amen. I'm glad that He received me, that the Lord received me when I came to Him by faith. Verse number three. Notice this. The Bible said, and He, speaking about Jesus here, spake this parable. Singular. Y'all see that? Amen. That's just Michael. Amen. We've seen him before. Praise the Lord. Amen. This, verse number three, he spake this parable. Singular. To say that these are separate parables is to deny the words of God here in verse number three. This was not meant to be three individual lessons, but rather three aspects of the same lesson. So that's why I call this the parable of lost things. You have verse number 3 through verse number 7. There is the aspect of the lost sheep. Verse number 8 through verse number 10. You have the parable, or you have rather the aspect of this parable of the lost silver. And then in verse number 11 through verse number 32, you have the aspect of the lost son. Now, tonight, we will look at this uh, aspect of the lost son. Or in other words, what has been coined the prodigal son. The son that walked away. The son that uh, turned his back on the family. Turned his back uh, on the father. Amen. Turned his back on, on, his, uh, on his father uh, to go out into a far country. Y'all know the story tonight. Here in these verses, the Bible says in verse number 11 that a certain man had two sons. Now, I don't know uh, how you believe about this, and I can't prove this, but this is what uh, y'all heard me use the term Joshology. I'll use that tonight. This is my opinion. This is not Bible. This is my opinion. I believe that these parables uh, are, uh, are illustrations, they are stories that were given uh, for whatever reason uh, that the Lord was using or other folks in the Bible, even the Old Testament has parables that were using earthly things to get across a spiritual or a heavenly lesson. However, as for me personally, I believe that when Jesus said a certain man had two sons, I believe that the Son of God who had who had sovereign knowledge from the beginning of the creation of this world all the way until the day that we enter into eternity, he had all of that to pull from. I believe he's pulling from some point in time in history. I believe that now, if now outside of the Lord, they can I believe that they are just stories. But I believe that when the Lord says there was a certain man which had uh, two sons, I believe, and that, by the way, like I said, this is just I believe, that Jesus, with all of that, why would Jesus make up a story when he has all of that at his disposal, when he could have pulled from some point in time in history, from a moment that is still in his mind, that he very heartfelt, uh, very heartfelt has, uh, still has a concern for, and he pulls that moment out and he uses it 
to teach this lesson. Amen. So this could be a made up story. I just prefer to think that Jesus is using an act of his sovereignty as the son of God here. Amen. So however you feel on that, that's fine. That's just my opinion. So, but however, the lesson does not change. Whether he's pulling it out from a real event or whether he is just using uh, using his uh, creative abilities to come up with this, uh, this story that teaches this lesson. The Bible says here that there in this, in this uh, idea of the parable of lost things, he talks about this man that had two sons and he talks about the one that the Bible calls the younger of them. And so he is the one that steps aside. The younger one is the one that uh, steps aside from his father. And he looks at his father and he says, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me and divide it. He divided unto them his living. Now, have you ever just thought about in this passage of Scripture how much of an how, how arrogant of a command that is? He does not ask for his inheritance, which, by the way, is his father's to give him if he decides to give it to him. It is still in the hand of his father, but he very boldly, very arrogantly comes to his father and he uses two words that would have got my behind whipped if I would have used them as a child in my home. And that was, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. He said, I, he said, I'm not asking you. I am commanding this of you. Give me what belongs to me. Do you see his self-entitled uh, opinion of himself in verse number 12? He said, Father, give me the portion of good that fallen to me. And the Father did so in verse number 12. And verse number 13, isn't it amazing? That when you live in a self-entitled uh, mentality and you get everything you've wanted, he got all of his inheritance. And the Bible says here it didn't take much time at all before all of that came crumbling down. He had everything that he thought he wanted. This young man in his youthful, in his youthful mind thought all he needed was abundance of funds. All he needed was money and life would be grand. All he needed was the inheritance and his life would be uh, just, just a bed of roses. And can I just report to you tonight that money's not everything? Amen. He thought if I just get the money in my hand, I'll be doing okay. And he found out there's some things that money cannot buy. And one of them is joy. One of them is happiness. Amen. He found out that his money would, waste, would be wasted. He wasted it with righteous living. He said, I'm going to live it up. I'm going to party it up. I'm, go I'm going to do what I want to do despite what daddy's taught me. I'm going to do with daddy's money what I want to do. And the Bible said that he wasted it and he found himself in want. And by the way, that's exactly what sin will always do. It'll leave you busted. It'll leave you wasted. It will leave you in want. It'll leave you craving for more. Amen. It'll leave you in a place where this younger son, this prodigal, found himself in. He was in the worst place that a Jewish boy could ever be. And that was in the hog pit. I'll be honest with you. There's been people that I've went to school with. 
that I've watched them as they have walked out with what they thought was gold and they thought that would glitter for them and that life was at their fingertips and that they had they had life by the horns, amen, and they walked out and they walked headlong straight into the hog pen. Now they're in want. Now they've wasted a good testimony. Now they've wasted everything they spent their life earning. And I'm sure you know some people like that as well. Tonight we see this prodigal in that place that a Jewish boy would never want to be in a hog pen. It was, it was an abominable thing for a Jew to have anything to do with swine. But in his heart, he has already got so far out in devastation because of sin that he, the Bible says, that he would have, he would have rather filled his belly with what the hogs were eating on because he was starving to death in the far country. And I remind you, I don't know how many people in here uh, tonight have been allured by the far country. How many young people in here maybe have been allured by the far country. But the far country has nothing to offer you that I believe this man thought he had a friendship in the far country. Notice the Bible says there in verse number 30 that he, de he devoured the living that his father had given him with harlots. He thought he had some companionship there. He thought he had love in the far country, but found out that there was not love for him to be found. The Bible says in verse number verse number 15 that he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into, and sent him into the fields uh, to feed swine. He even joined himself with someone who was from there, no doubt, uh, that he was living uh, with this fellow, thought he had uh, some camaraderie there, thought he might have had a friend in the far country. But the far country is not for you. The far country is not meant to be sojourned in. The far country, as it will, the devil will allow the far country of sin of this world to pull at you. Amen. The devil will allow the far country to be enticing and the things that are against the things of God and the old time way and the word of God. You know it's not in line with the word of God. You know that God's not pleased with it. You know that mom and dad that love God and have raised you better are not pleased with it. Amen. You know in your heart that what that preacher has preached down through the years it's not for you to go in the far country, but the devil has enticed you to do so. You've decided that you're going to take your journey. And I'll be honest with you, except for the good grace of God, you may take your journey out the far country. But can I just report to you that in this passage of Scripture, it was the grace of God that brought the prodigal back home. It was the mercy of God that brought the prodigal back home. Without God's grace and without God's mercy, you very well may take your journey of your own accord into the far country. But friend, you may never be able to come back. And this man didn't come back on his own. It took God allowing him to come to himself. And you know what took him? How, you know how he was able to come to himself? God used him being at the bottom of his road. At the end of his rope, At the bottom of the barrel. He had nothing left. And he said there's only one other place that I could go. And in shame with my head hung low. With, the, with in mind the idea of possibly becoming my father's servant and exchanging my place as a son and offering my, giving myself uh, the place of servitude to him, maybe he may take me back. Can I just report to you 
that this is a very sad scene that we come to here in the Word of God and we see this sad scene in all of our churches, in all of our homes, in all of our schools, in all of our places of business, people who once were raised in the house of God who know better and they've heard about God and they've heard the truths of the Word of God and a red-faced preacher got up in the, got up in the pulpit and showed them from the Word of God the dangers of the far country, the dangers of living in sin, the dangers of going your own way and forsaking the leadership in your life. But friend, the Bible says we've seen it on every hand that I'm glad to report to you that there is still hope right. even in the far country. Amen. 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 Friend, let me give you this tonight. Please, I beg you from my heart, do not go the world's way. Do not go to the far country. Do not go the way of a prodigal. Yes, it may seem fun. Yes, it may seem like there's companionship out there. Yes, it may seem like the Father doesn't know anything and you know everything. Yes, it may seem like uh, the ways of the Word of God are outdated and there is so much out there in the far country that is new and innovative and exciting and exciting and it draws our attention and our passions. But friend, the Bible says here the far country is no place for a Christian. Amen. I, I believe that this text in the context is dealing with those that are lost and no doubt there is, a, there, is a, there is a great benefit to preaching this in its context. But by, by application tonight is how I want to preach this text. Normally I would not preach this text as a backslider because Jesus said this person is lost. But one thing that God spoke to my heart this afternoon as I looked over some of my notes from several months ago in this message is the fact that God, uh, that in your life, if you, are, if you are not following God's way, there is an element of being lost in your life. You may not be unsaved, but your path is not the way that God wants you to be. You have walked away into uncharted waters. You have walked away into, into a path that has not been trod before. Not by you, not by your kind, not by those who know God the way you've known God and been experienced the truth the way you've been experienced the truth. And by the way, let me just back up and say this tonight. You will be judged not by the truth that you don't know, but by the truth that you do know. And let me just say this tonight as well, church. This church has been privileged to be able to have, and I, I say it's a privilege, but you may not think it's much of a privilege, but you've been given more truth than most. You, you have been, you have been uh, privy to having information that many do not have. You've heard preaching that many do not have from a preacher who loves you. And I hope I've contributed to that just some in the year that I've been here. But friend, you have no excuse that many Christians may try to use this church has been privileged to know the truth. Therefore, you will stand even more accountable on the day of judgment for the truth that you do know. Amen. In this passage, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of things and I'll be done. Just a couple of quick things and I'll be done. In this passage, there is a sad scene. But I'm thankful for verse number 17. 
There was such devastation and destruction and despair in the verses prior to verse number 17 that it must seem like there's no hope in the far country. That there's no way out of the hog pen. That there's no way out of that life and sin. No way, no way out of the living in the slop that you've known. No way out. No way of forgiveness from the rebellious heart that you've had and you've rebelled against family. You've rebelled against the Father, which is a type of, uh, of God the Father. You've rebelled against God. God, you've went your own way and it may seem there's no hope for you. Hey friend, there may, it may not be you tonight, but it may be someone that you know that is out there in the far country and it may seem like there's no hope for them. You may have felt like there's no reason to pray for them. You may think there's no reason uh, to try to uh, influence them toward the things of God again. But can I just report to you, I'm so thankful tonight for verse number 17. Amen. The Bible says, and when. In other words, the hog pen wasn't the last chapter. The hog pen wasn't the end of the story. Thank God there was an end of God's good grace attached to this story of the prodigal in the far country. The Bible said, and when he came to himself. And the Bible said, notice that phrase, and when. You may have a prodigal that is out there in the far country. You may be the prodigal that is out there in the far country. Yes, you may be in church on a Wednesday night uh, when, uh, when the cream of the crop, if you will, show up to church. Amen. I don't have any problem. Uh, I don't have any problem believing that you love the Lord and you and you love church and you love preaching if you show up on a Wednesday night. I don't have a problem believing that, but I have known a few people in my life who showed up Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and were lost as the day is long. Showed up Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, who were saved, but their heart was as far from God, and they were living in the far country for a long time, even though they were in church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival meetings every time the door was open. Amen. If you don't show up to church, you'll have a hard time convincing me that you're not in the far country. Amen. Amen. If this don't mean anything to you, I doubt this will mean much to you. This is the easiest part of our walk with God. Right. Just showing up, sitting down, and doing something in the house of God. Even if it's just your faithfulness. Amen. You want to know how to encourage me? And I, this isn't part of the message. You want to know how to encourage me greater than anything else you do? Show up. Be faithful. Let me see you here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Revival meeting, any other special event we have, any other thing we do around the church. If you're here, guess what? Your preacher's happy. If you're not here, don't think I'm not, don't think that I'm mad. But I will say this: the devil uses that very often for any preacher, not just me, to get discouraged. So the devil will get in my ear and say, "You know, looks like your people really do care about church. Looks like your people really do care about hearing you preach." Look like your people really do care about the things of God. Look how much they come. And let, I'll, I'll share this with you tonight as well. There have been people, said, and, and like I said, this is, this is just where we're at tonight. Amen. There have been people in our church that have been very, very faithful since my first day here. But today, we had a few, a few of our faithful people on my prayer list, and I prayed this prayer. Lord, I would love to see them in church tonight if they would come. You were here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. 
for the majority of this year, but I've started to see some of our faithful folk, some of our founding folk, starting to miss Wednesday night. And God, in my heart, I said, God, I don't want to get upset. But Lord, if they could be here, I would love for them to be there. Right. It shouldn't be that way. Amen. Could it be that the reason why some of those things happen is because you've allowed your heart to drift from the Father's house to the, from the things of God through faithfulness to the Lord and to our Father and you begin to slowly drift toward the far country. Right. If that's you tonight, let me give you these couple of quick things and we'll be done. There's hope in the far country. There's hope for a prodigal to come home. And thank God, if you, I don't know, there's some people in here that on our Wednesday night prayer meeting, we have prayed for some prodigals. You have mentioned children that need to get right with God. You have mentioned children, some of you publicly in our services, some of you privately to me and asking me to pray, have mentioned about children, mentioned about grandchildren, mentioned about loved ones, mentioned uh, maybe about a husband or a wife or a friend or someone at your job, someone at your school that is out there in the far country and they are prodigal and they're not where they need to be with God. They may even claim the name of Christ, but they're not where they need to be with God. Can I just encourage you, don't stop praying. Don't give up on them. There's hope uh, even in the far country for the prodigals to come home because verse number 17, let, if you have a prodigal, if you know one, if you have a friend that's one or a family member that's one, let the word win in verse number 17 light your soul afire. Yeah. Not if they will come home. Amen. Because the Bible said, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. In other words, the truth will never leave them. They may never give themselves to it. But the truth will never leave them if you've instructed them in it. He does not say if they come home. Or, or give some form of doubt. But he said, when the prodigal came to himself. Notice this, I'm going to preach on the subject tonight, when the prodigal comes home. And I want to give us some truths out of just very quickly, out of this passage, on some things that will happen when the prodigal comes home. Number one, notice this, verse number 17 through verse number 21, we see that when the prodigal comes home, there will be a reunion with the Father. Aren't you glad for that tonight? Amen. That when they come home, the Father does not reject them. The Father does not push them away. The Father, get, get this, the Father does not make them earn a reunion. But He re reunites with them. Notice the, what the Bible says in verse number 17. And when He came to Himself, He said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger. It was the hunger that made him long for the Father's house. You know where you're going to find bread tonight? At the Father's house. You're going to find the food that you need, the substance that you need spiritually around the things of God. You're going to find it at the Father's house. Amen. It was his hunger that caused him to go to the Father's house. And friend, let me tell you tonight, there may be some of you or some people you know that they are as hungry as they have ever been. You remember a day when you were filled with the Word of God, filled with the Spirit of God, filled with excitement about the things of God, and tonight you sit there and you're hungry. Could it be you're in the far country? 
Could it be that the Lord wants to have a reunion with you spiritually and let you enjoy the things that you used to enjoy? If you'll only come to yourself. If you'll only realize that being with Him is worth more than your hunger. And freeing your pride is not worth starving to death for. Amen. God will receive you tonight. Amen. And we'll look at it tonight as well. God wasn't the only one that received this prodigal. Amen. Notice what the Bible says. Think about this. Verse 17 through 19. Notice with the prodigal's idea of the reunion with his father. Notice what the Bible said, verse 17. He came to himself. He said, how many hired servants of my fathers had bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? He said, verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Notice that phrase, verse 19, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Now notice these next two words. Make me. Y'all remember what he said? In verse number 12, he's changed his attitude a little bit. Verse number 12, he said, give me. Here in verse number 19, he said, make me. The difference in his repentance here, him coming to himself, a picture of repentance, is the fact that at one time he had the attitude that I want to get from my father. And in this, uh, in verse number 19, now I'm going to give something to my father. Make me. As one of the hired servants. Amen. He said give me rather than make me. Now notice this verse 20. We saw verse 17 through 19. The prodigal's idea of this reunion. He said if he will just receive. He doesn't have to receive me as a son. I would be satisfied if he'll just let me back home. And will have something to do with me. Even if it's just throwing some food my way. Amen. When we used to enjoy the blessings of God. And we used to enjoy our spiritual food. And now you've been hungry. And you have been starving to death spiritually. Because of your decision. Or the person you know possibly. Their decision to go into the far country. Friend you may not want the, uh, you, you may not even think that God should deserve to give you what you used to have. You just say make me as one of our hired servants. Just throw a little bread my way and let me do something to earn my keep. Let me do something to earn your forgiveness. That was what the prodigal thought the reunion would be like. And he was okay with that because he knew how sinful he was. And he knew how wicked he was. And he knew how he left. And he knew what he had done. You've got to think in this passage, the Bible said the kind of life that he's lived. You've got to think this, this Jewish father, uh, they, they would have frowned upon the actions that he had been in. Not only being in the hog pen, not only having that as an occupation. But you think about what caused him to lose his inheritance. Living riotously, verse 30 defines riotous living as spending it all on harlots. Think about the sensual nature that this passage speaks of. This would have been an atrocity for any Jewish family. He would have been the black sheep of his family. The family would not have wanted to have their son be able, uh, would not have wanted their son to, to come into their home and be with them as they worshiped in the temple, knowing that's the kind of life that he had lived. No doubt there would be very, there would be much. And much, and much at stake with this kind of behavior. But he said, if he'll just let me come home. And I don't know about you tonight, but, you're, but you may be in a place tonight where you have been so far in sin. 
And I've known people and I've counseled people that have been so far in sin that in their mind they said, if he could just receive me anyway, I'll do whatever I need to do. I'll serve him however I need to serve him. I just hope and pray that he'll receive me back. And I'm so glad tonight to report to you that our Heavenly Father is much greater than this earthly father here in our text. That if you've been out in the foreign country and you've sojourned in sin and your heart has become cold and your heart is craved for the things of the world and you may have done things you're not proud of. You may have thought things this week that you would not want me or anybody else to know. You may have done things this week that you would not want anybody to hear tell of. But I'm glad to report to you that this father here in our day received this prodigal. And more than that earthly father would receive that prodigal. Thank God our heavenly father will receive you tonight. We'll receive your sons and daughters. We'll receive your family and friends. We'll receive whatever prodigal you may have been praying for tonight. Amen. There's the prodigal's idea of this reunion in verse 17 through 19. But now look at the father's initiation of this reunion in verse number 20 and 21. The prodigal thought that if I could just go serve him, that would be all that I would need. I'll go back in shame with my head hung low. I'll slip into a place of service and somehow try to work my way to earn the Father's forgiveness. Verse 21, verse 20, 21, and 22 to me are one of the most beautiful passages of scriptures in all of the Bible, especially if you understand anything about the way Jewish men live. Notice what the Bible said in verse number 20. The Bible said, He, speaking of the prodigal, arose and came to his father. But, I love this, one of the most, one of the most beautiful sentences in all the scripture to me. Amen. But when he, and I, I just imagine this, the Lord spoke these words. Can you imagine these words coming off of the lips of our Savior? As he is talking about himself and he is talking uh, to even the Pharisees there and he's talking to the sinners there. He is targeting sinners and he's dealing them with them about their soul and he's dealing with them about their spiritual condition. The Son of God speaking about his Father in heaven says that this is the way that his Father will receive a sinner as he looks sinners dead in their eyes and he's telling them what the Father will do and he's telling them what God will do and the son of God who is as much God as his father is given the will that he and his father have for sinners imagine this coming off the lips of our savior and he arose and came to his father but one of the great great heavenly conjunction in the bible but thank God the father butts in from time to time amen when he was yet a great way off. Imagine him coming down the line. Coming down the road to his father's house. The Bible said when he was a great way off. His father saw him. And had compassion on him. And ran and fell on his neck. And kissed him. Now you answer this. And by the way. It's not going to be a very, a very deep question. How was it. That the father would see him. Coming down the road. Guess what? The father, with everything the father had to do, with everything that the father had going on, he was lit. He, he had a farm uh, that he had that he had that work in the field. He had the farm with the fatted calves, and, and no doubt the Bible said he even had servants working under him. The father probably had better things to do as the way the world would look at them. But the father said, "No, 
my son's back. It's hard to get excited about the sheep. It's hard to get excited about the cattle. It's hard to get excited about the farm life and working the field and earning a living when you've got a child out in the far country. There may have been some of you in here tonight that it seems like the joys of your life have been pulled away from you. The things that you used to enjoy, you can't even enjoy. You used to love your job, but now you think about that particle when you're on your job. You used to enjoy church, but all you think about in church, when you come to the house of God, you get discouraged because you wish your son, or you wish your daughter, or you wish your loved one was sitting on the pew next to you. It's hard to get excited about the preaching when you hear a message that stirs your heart, because in your mind, you say, I wish the prodigal would hear that message. I wish my son, my daughter, my loved one would hear that message. It's hard to get excited about the things of life because the prodigal is still out there in the far country and you don't know what life is for them. You don't know what sin they're involved in. You don't know if they're alive or dead in the far country. But friend, can I just encourage you that God is watching out for them in the far country. Amen. This father said that they was nothing that mattered unto him much that prodigal coming home and instead of spending time in the field, uh, instead of spending time attending the cattle, he spent time on the edge of the road with his eyes peeled looking for the prodigal to come home. There's only one way. He saw him. The Bible said when he was a great way off. You know how you see something off in the distance clear to know it's your son? You have to be looking for it intentively anticipated for the day that you see that prodigal coming down the road. It may not look the same as he did when he left. His clothes that you sent him out in may be tattered and torn, may have, the, uh, may have the traces of the world on them. But friend, thank God that when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, as he spoke these words, friend, the prodigal may be out of the far country, but I'm so glad tonight to know that Jesus was saying that if you'll just come home, I will be looking out for you. I'll be waiting for you. And when you get to where I am, I'll have compassion. Yeah. Say amen. God is a great God. He's a great Father. And He loves His children. And if they've spent time out in the world, I, I believe with all of my heart, this prodigal, when he came to himself, he wanted to come home. He wanted to enjoy home. He wanted to enjoy fellowship with his father again. But I believe with all of my heart, you know who wanted him to be home even more than the prodigal wanted to be home. Even after the stains of sin had tarnished his life, the father wanted him to be home even more than the prodigal wanted to be home. Thank God Jesus wants our prodigals to come home. Aren't you glad tonight that God cares about the prodigal? Amen. Your heart may have been turned against your prodigal. You may be, uh, you may be embarrassed about them. You may be discouraged to where you don't pray for them anymore. But thank God you may have given up. But I'm so glad tonight to report that when there's prodigals out in the far country and they need to come home to the Father's house, friend, the whole world may have given up on them and said there's no hope. But thank God Jesus never gives up on them. Thank God God has not given up on them. But he's standing at the end of the way and he's looking for them to come. Praise his dear name. He's ready to have compassion. Thank God the prodigal had his idea of the reunion. But we see the father's initiation of this reunion. He was ready. He had compassion. And notice this. 
Beautiful word if you understand anything about Jewish men. The Bible said, and ran. This is one thing that in the history of your Bible, you will not find a Jewish man doing. Jewish men don't run. And the reason is, is because it would be a shame for them to run. It would show part of their legs. It would show part of the nakedness. And they did not do anything that they did not do gingerly. They, they're, they're, they, were, they, were a little bit, they were a little bit more godly than many of us today. Amen. They were concerned with how people viewed them. They were concerned with whether or not they kept the word of God or not. They were concerned with whether God would be pleased with what they had on or how they acted or things that they did. Amen. Yeah. At least we can probably learn something from these Jewish men. Amen. But guess what the Bible says here? This Jewish man, when he saw his son, his prodigal son coming down the road, the Bible said that he acted in a way that was very unbecoming to a Jewish man. He put his pride aside. He put what he, he, what he was afraid people may view him as aside. He put, he put the, the, the social standings of the day aside. And the Bible said that he did not wait for his son to come all the way. That's how I know that God is no more concerned with us coming home than we are getting home. Because not only was he looking, but when he noticed that it was him, he didn't even wait for him to get to him. Amen. He didn't wait for him to get all the way home. He didn't wait for him to get all the way he didn't wait for him even to say a word of repentance but he ran to him he came to where he was he had compassion on him and the Bible said that he fell on his neck and he kissed him you know what the Lord wants to do, to you, do tonight if you're out in a far country he wants to have compassion he wants to meet you halfway. Friend, I promise if you would take one step of faith out of your pew tonight to come back to God, uh, God will meet you halfway. You won't even make it to the altar. And God will already have come to where you are to give you the help you need to come back to Him. Amen. He will have compassion. He will run to you. He will fall on your neck in a sweet embrace. And guess what tonight? If you'll choose to come home, the sweet Son of God will come. The Father will come to you. God Himself will come to you. And you'll feel heaven's kiss all over your face. All over your soul. All over who you are. You'll feel a fresh touch from heaven. A kiss from the glory world as God receives you home. Friend, if you've got a prodigal, you ought to dream of the day where God will send a sweet kiss from the glory world to that prodigal that you love and that prodigal that you want to see come home. God has promised it. He did not say if the prodigal comes home. He said when the prodigal comes home. Thank God the prodigal very well could be on his way tonight as we sit here in the house of God. Your prodigal very well may be in the far country coming to themselves if they just know that the God of heaven will receive them. Amen. Have compassion on them. There's a reunion with the Father. Number two, I must hurry. Not only is there a reunion with the father that is promised when the prodigal comes home, but number two, there is a rejoicing of the family. The Bible said in verse 22, But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. See, the prodigal expected to be treated as a servant. The prodigal expected to be put in the field. The prodigal expected to be given whatever whatever whatever, whatever, uh, whatever mediocre task the rest 
maybe were too good to do or didn't want to do. He thought about coming in, being put at the bottom, being put at the bottom of the totem pole, being the disgraced son, now a servant. He'd already lived in the hog pen, so it couldn't get much worse from there. He expected to be a servant. What he didn't expect is for the reception. As the father initiated this reunion, fell on him, had compassion, kissed him. I love verse 21. I missed this just a moment ago. The Bible said, And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Notice what happens in the next verse. He said, But, the father butts it again, praise God. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe. Do you see what was missing? The prodigal believed and was fully expecting to be made a servant. But he didn't even get a chance. You see, he walked down the road, headed to his father's house, rehearsing in his mind what he was going to say to try to get the father to receive him back, rehearsing in his mind how to try to convince his father just to let him in. He thought there was going to be so much persuading and so much pleading just to get the father to let him back in the house. Just to get the father to let him have, let him have access to the food. And he said, you know, I'll serve my way. I'll do whatever I have to do. I'll get in the, I'll get in the lowest part of service that nobody else wants if you'll just let me back in. And by the way, that's where sin will bring you. Amen. Any of you may have spent some time in prayer even this week. Maybe, maybe you're, you're there tonight. You spent some time praying today. God, if you'll just let me feel that way when I read my Bible again. God, if you'll just let me feel that way when I pray again. God, if you'll let me get something out of church the way I used to get something out of church. You have that idea. That's what I've got to do. I've got to earn it. And maybe he'll just let me in. But notice what the Father didn't let him say. He rehearsed, Father, I have sinned, this is verse 18, against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Then he said, Make me as one of thy hired servants. In verse number 21, we see the Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son, but before he ever gets to the make me as one of thy hired servants. The father butts in and says to his servants, bring forth the best robe, amen, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, amen. There's much symbolism there. I won't get, I won't get to that tonight. But he said, bring all of these good things, bring all of these blessings that represent that he's not just a servant of mine, but he's still my son, and I still receive him as such, and I'm honoring him for being for just coming to himself and coming home. The father said to bring forth that best robe, that ring, those shoes on his feet. Then he said this, bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. Let us have a time of rejoicing because the prodigal has come home. One of my favorite preachers to listen to preach. I don't know how many of you have heard him. I'd love to hear him. Uh, I'd love for you to hear him. I'd love for him to preach for us one day. But his brother Mark Stroud. I love Brother Stroud. Amen. And you won't miss him either when he comes, if he comes in church, because he's about six foot eight. So you're not going to miss him. Amen. He's a big fellow, praise God. Amen. But he preached on this passage one time. And uh, I heard him say about this verse number 23, and I believe it's true. The Bible said, bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. He made a statement. He said, there's only one way that you have a fatty calf. 
And that's because you've had, it, you've had it in the stall and you've been feeding it and fattening it up because you're expecting for a day to kill it. Amen. Yeah. That goes along with what, we've been, what we looked at just a moment ago, how the father was preparing for the prodigal come home. As far as the father was concerned, it wasn't an if, it was a win. He had a fatted calf already fatted and ready to be slain, ready to be cooked, amen. And he said, let us be merry, amen. Notice this, he gives the reason, verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then verse, the last part of this verse is where we take the second thought. And they, they, who is they? Those that cared for the prodigal. Who is they, the servants, the father, all of those at the father's house? They began to be married. When the prodigal comes, not only will there be a reunion with the father, praise God. And you ought to be glad, by the way, that there can be and there will be, if your prodigal comes home, there will be a day where they will and can have a reunion with the father. Amen. But there must also be a rejoicing in the family. As far as this prodigal was concerned, this was his family. Not only was there his father and his elder brother that we'll look at in a minute, but those servants, he most likely had been raised with them. Most likely they had been a part. You see, throughout this, there, there seems to be uh, almost a family atmosphere as they deal one with another. He, the father speaks to them, and the Bible said that all of them began to be married. It wasn't the fact that these were just hired hands that were not involved in the affairs of the family. But the Bible said that they were all married when the prodigal came home. I promise you even these servants cared. In this, I see what the way that if, when your prodigal comes, many of you have been praying for prodigals to enter in the doors of these, this church. I wanted to cl close our vision month tonight and talking about those prodigals that I've heard many of you pray for and many of you ask God, uh, ask, God uh, ask me uh, to pray for them and bring that cause to God and you've asked God yourself to bring those prodigals home and when the prodigal does come and they are reunited with the Father, guess what? This family ought to be rejoicing with them. Right. Amen. I promise you that. And if somehow I find out that we are not rejoicing when they do. And by the way, I talked about vision. That's a good vision to have. Yeah. Amen. 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 Some of us got a little sidetracked when it comes to what really matters when it comes to the ministry. Amen. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't. And, and please don't think don't think that I'm being critical. If I if I misunderstood this, please. Um, Again, I'm not fussing. I'm trying to help you tonight. This is just one of them things that pastors are called to do. There was an individual in here. I don't know whether it's just because you did it before church or whatever. But one of the things that was written down on a vision, and if you meant something else by this, you let me know. But, I, but somebody wrote down that I'm looking, I, I, that, that my vision is to see what God has in store for me. That kind of missed the boat a little bit. I'm not asking you what your vision is for yourself. I ask you to write down a vision for our church, which is supposed to be a ministry for others. Amen. If you are praying for a prodigal to come home, this church ought to be concerned with others. Amen. We ought not to just be looking at what we can do ourselves, but what God can do for us and the church can do for us, but what we can do for others. Amen. 
We are, if somebody has a spiritual victory, if somebody has a prodigal that comes home, friend, you and I ought to, ought to be rejoicing with them just as if it was your child. Amen. It may not be your family, but you ought to rejoice because it was part of your family. Not your physical family, but your spiritual family. There ought to be a rejoicing of the family. The Bible said they, plural, began to be in want. And literally the reason why they were rejoicing was just to have him back home. He hasn't even done anything for them to be excited about. He just came back home. That ought to be exciting enough. I'm, 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 I'm perplexed that too often in our churches, and I, I'm talking about our independent Baptist churches, we shoot our wounded. We, 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 we don't bear one another's burdens. We don't encourage one another the way that we should. But when somebody gets wounded, we, we, we kick them while they're down. And instead of giving them a hand to help them back up and trying to see them restored. Amen. Right. Amen. Any of y'all ever seen that? <clears throat> I think, I think Christians are really bad about hurting our wounded and, and kicking, them, kicking our wounded while they're down. Amen. The Bible says you and I ought to be like that Samaritan that will pour in oil and wine. You give them, you give them the Spirit of God and you, you give them the Word of God and you give them Jesus and that will be the healing that they need. You go to where they are. Do something to help them. Take them to the end. Amen. To get some help. Amen. By the way, in that passage of Scripture, the end is a picture of the local church. Amen. Take them to a place where they can get some help from God. Encourage them. We shoot our wounded too many times. And we think that when somebody does mess up. And it has been uh, some time since uh, they've been where they needed to be with the Lord. I feel like too many of us. Uh, we, we, uh, when they come in for the first time. And maybe they still look like they've got some world on them. And they have the effects of the world on them. Amen. We want to ask them all about their days in the world. And, and we want to uh, talk to them them and have long conversations with them before we can rejoice and see if they really mean uh, the decision that they made when they made the decision to come back. Guess what? That's not our job. It's not our job to try to test people to see whether or not they that, that they are really serious about God now, uh, that they've returned back home. Amen. If your child's been out of church for years, your child hasn't been faithful to church, you don't need to, you don't need to try to uh, understand where they were in the world and try to show them all of those things as to how they're wrong. There's a spirit of God for that. But when they come here, they don't need people to try uh, to bombard them. They don't need uh, people to try to uh, discourage them. You know what they need? People need to know that people are excited that they're back. That's right. Amen. Right. Don't have long conversations with them trying to figure out intent. Or I wonder if they're if there's if they need something or if they need money from somebody in here or if they're if they're going through this or they're they've done this or that person they're with if they have gotten pregnant or this that or the other and they need some kind of help. You just need to rejoice that they're back. You need to rejoice that they're home. You need to rejoice that they've come to their self. Amen. And let God deal with the details. They were they rejoiced just because they were out of the far country and in the father's house. He noticed this. The father did not make nor the servants 
did not make this prodigal return to the field as a servant for a probationary period to prove that whether to prove whether they would last long enough to be made worthy to come back home. Amen. It's not our job to try to take those that have been out in the world and want to come back and say, well, if you'll do this and you'll do that, we'll know you're serious about your walk with God now. That's not our job. Our job is to rejoice. The picture of this passage tells us that you and I, the family, the servants of God, all we are to do, the servants didn't ask questions. The servants didn't try to impose their own way. They just rejoiced because the Father was rejoicing. The only person in this passage of Scripture that has a conversation with the prodigal is the Father. Amen. Amen. And as the, as the Father spoke to him, the Bible said in verse 28, the, the, the Father speaks to him over and over again. And the Bible says that the Father not only spoke to him, but he spoke to the Son who wasn't rejoicing. Friend, let me tell you this. If you refuse to rejoice when a prodigal comes home, the Father will deal with you. Amen. Right. Lastly, let me give you this and we'll be done. I know I've probably been preaching long enough tonight. Number one, but I'll get one done tonight. Amen. It won't be a study. It won't be a sermon series. It'll be done. Praise God. Number one, verse 17 through 21, there's a reunion with the Father when the prodigal comes home. Number two, verse 22 through 24, there will be a rejoicing of the family, or at least there should be, when the prodigal comes home. Number three, when the prodigal comes home, and I'm, I'm going to preach this tonight as preventative maintenance, there was a response from the field. When the prodigal came home. You know the one that had been serving. You know the son that had been faithful. The son that had not went out to the world. And wasted in his inheritance. If you notice. The Bible said in verse 12. That the father divided unto them. His living. Which means that not only did the prodigal get his. The younger son got his. But the elder brother got his as well. And he's been holding on to his and he hasn't wasted his. But he's been serving the whole time. And we see this response from the field. And if you're not careful, you've been in church. You have been serving God. You've been reading your Bible. You've been praying. You've been listening to preaching. You have been giving your tithes and offerings. You have been attending revival meetings. You have been pray, caring, uh, praying about them and caring for them and trying to get them home to no avail until they come to their self. You cannot force a prodigal to get home. They have to come to their self. They have to realize how bad they are and they have to realize the one that can help them. Amen. But the one that's in the field, that's never left, that's always been faithful, is the one that runs the risk of getting bitter. Do not, listen to this child of God, do not let your labor for God cause you to be bitter. Too many preachers, as they get older, grow old in age and bitter because of the ministry. Too many Christians serve God for a number of years and get bitter because of the way the ministry has treated them. I'm so thankful tonight to be able, and I, and I mean this, I'm so thankful tonight to be able to meet some older people that love God and serve God. 
I thank God for men like Brother Caldwell, who's 83 years old, served God in the pastoral ministry, preaching ministry for 62 years, and he's not bitter. And I know that the devil's probably given him plenty of Baptists, plenty of deacons, plenty of uh, plenty of uh, heartbreaking situations, plenty of people uh, that didn't want to go God's way and got rebellious and went out in the far country and wanted to cause him issues and wanted to break his heart over and over again, 62 years. But he didn't get bitter. There's many preachers that I know that quit on God when they get older in the ministry, quit on the ministry. They're still preaching, but they quit. They're still ministering, but they sat down because they're bitter. This elder brother never left the field. He never left his labor, but he was bitter. Everybody else in the house is rejoicing. Everybody else in the family is rejoicing. But he can't even rejoice at his own brother's home because he's so bitter. We don't realize what a root of bitterness can do. The Bible says <clears throat> that there is a root of bitterness that we need to be careful of lest it springs up and troubles us. Amen. And it's called a root of bitterness because of how deep it can get. Look at what the Bible says here about this elder brother. The Bible said that when he heard that his brother was found safe and sound. Verse 27. He was angry. Can you think about that? He would rather his brother been in the far country and been dead because of how bitter he was. He got bitter because he heard that his brother was safe and his brother was sound instead of being destroyed. He, would have, he was angry because his brother was home. And the Bible said, and would not go in. And therefore, his father came out and entreated him. The word entreated there literally means that the father begged him. If you are a person that is filled with bitterness, and you will not even be able, if you're, by the way, if you're a bitter person, you may be dismissing this from your mind, but if a prodigal does come home, You'll be, the one that's, you'll be the one that's angry. It may not make sense now, but when it happens, the Bible says, you'll be angry. You'll look at your life and say, well, why didn't I get what they're getting? Why? I've been here in church this whole time. And by the way, I have found out that one of the, one of the biggest groups of people, those of you that are preachers in here, y'all listen to me, one of the biggest groups of people that this happens to are preachers. Why did they have that preacher come in and they make such a fanfare over them? Why did that person come in and they make such a big deal over them and they're angry and they're bitter? Amen. Well, I'll just go to another church where I'm more appreciated and my talents are more uh, seen and, and where, where <clears throat> those people will really respect me. Amen. The Bible said that he would not go in he was calloused. He was acting childish here in this passage of Scripture. We see that he was calloused because he was angry and he had no concern for his brother being home here. The fact that he's not going in, that's childish. You know, the elder, he's the elder brother, but he's acting like the kid brother. 
He sprawled a temper tantrum right now. His dad had it. Now this is an adult man who says he knows God and he's laboring out in the field. <clears throat> he says, I'm not going in. And the servant has to send for the father. And the father has to come out and beg him to come in and rejoice. Can you imagine what it would be like for the father, for God to have to come by your way and, and beg you to be happy that someone got right with God? And by the way, the whole time you spend bitter, God is doing just that. It doesn't matter what I preach on. God's wanting you to get right. God's wanting you to let go of some bitterness. I could preach on tithing and you're going to hear, I need to let go of my heart of bitterness and I need to get right so I can rejoice. Amen. There's a response from the field. He responded with anger in verse number 28. He responded with an answer in verse number 29 and 30. The Bible said here, that he was angry. He would not go in, verse 28. The father had to come out. He answered and said this, and I believe this sounds like many I've met in church. Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I, may make, that I might make merry with my friends. And as soon as this, you want to talk about calloused? Look at this. Look at this phrase. As this thy son. He refused to call the younger brother his own brother, but rather he looked at the father and called him thy son. You want to talk about bitter? Yeah. He wouldn't even call him his brother. He said, thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living, your living dad. I don't understand why you are forgiving like this because he took your money and he devoured it with harlots. And thou hast killed, killed for him the fatty calf. Here's the temptation that we'll get when the prodigal comes home if we're not careful. You will either be in this crowd that rejoices or you'll be that rejoices with the family or you'll be in this crowd that responds from the field and you'll say, God, I've done all of this for you and they've done nothing but sin and I don't understand why you're being so good to them. And all I, I, I'm doing what I'm doing, laboring, working my fingers to the bone, and I'm not receiving these good things like he is. He's went out there, he's done all of these wicked things, and I haven't got what you're giving him. I haven't got from that pastor what, uh, what he's getting. I haven't got from those church members what he's getting. And the, and the scary thing is, is that is just, it may be in this parable, it may be in this story, but it can be a danger tonight. For our church. You say you want to see him come home. God sent me here to try to prepare you for a little bit tonight. As to what will happen when they do come home. Because if God answers your prayers. And guess what he wants to. He wants to answer your prayers more than you want them answered. He wants, he wants your prodigals to come home. More than you want them to come home. Amen. Amen. And when he answers them. You need to be prepared. That not only, yes, thank God. There's going to be a reunion with the father. But there ought to be a rejoicing from you. And from this church. And I would not do you a service as your pastor. If I did not tell you that this church needs to be rejoicing when they come home. And rejoicing and rejoicing alone. And keeping our mouths shut. And keeping our opinions off of them. And stop letting our minds run wild. But give, give them to Jesus. And let their spiritual growth be to Jesus. Let him be the one that talks with them. You and I serve the Father. And you and I rejoice when he rejoices.
and make sure that we don't respond with bitterness. Make sure that we don't respond because if you get number two right, it will cause someone who's not right to respond the way number three is. If we rejoice the way that God wants us to rejoice, no doubt someone will get jealous, someone will get bitter. And I came here tonight to warn you about that. Amen. The Bible says to reprove, to rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. The Bible says that Paul said that he was commissioned by God to warn every man. I came tonight to give you a warning and to give to you, if you can believe it or not, this was also an exhortation to go the way the Bible says, to go the way of the, to go the, way of the Word of God, and let's be faithful so that when we pray, by the way, this message is a message of faith. I would not preach this if I did not believe that they could come home and that they were on their way home. You know what my vision is for 2019? For your prodigal to come home. Guess what? They're not mine. But it's part of my vision to see them come home. I want to see God deal with them and bring them home. And I don't want to see God just make them into a servant. Although I promise you this son, when he was received as a son, probably spent the rest of his days giving the father the best that he had. Amen. When you get received the way he did, guess what? You may have been received as a son, but I promise you, you will take on the occupation of a servant. Amen. I don't want to see them be treated as second-rate citizens in this church. I want to see them be rejoiced over, be received in our fellowship, and us treat them the way they need to so that God can make a mighty servant out of them. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Oh, yeah.